I don't think you've met the other guys, but we've got uh, Ramsey Lanier and uh, Ben. Uh, what's your last name? I always forget. Oh, oh come on. Ben Strahan. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. This is the Space Dojo Show, a weekly podcast about all things JavaScript. You can find out more information at show.spacedojo.com. Enjoy the show. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host Crater.io there, so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch, such as Node.js, to get it up and running in 55 seconds, or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD and state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started. Welcome to the Space Dojo Show. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my co-hosts, Ben Strahan and Ramsey Lanier. Welcome, guys. What's up, team? What's up? What's up, Josh? Josh and Poo. (laughs) Hey, that's my nickname for him. (laughs) I stole it. I stole it. Guys. I see how this is going to be. All right. All right. Tug of war over Josh. Quit quit fighting. There's nothing (laughs) to (laughs) make Tug of tug of war, Owens. Oh, that didn't work out very well. No, I didn't. thought it was going to be better than that. I'm one point up now. <laughs> edit, edit, edit that one out, would you? <laughs> All right. We have a special guest with us this week, Charlie Key. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. It's yeah. a pleasure to fight over Josh. <laughs> I go around too. <laughs> Well, you're, you're at least closer. So I know, I know. I can, I can hunt you down. You, you got a leg up there. Um, you started a startup recently called Losant, correct? Correct. What is Losant? Losant is an uh, IoT developer platform. And, and what that really means is we try to do three things really easy for developers building uh, what we call connected solutions. Uh, I'll give it an example here in a second. But the, you know, those three pillars that we kind of think are really important is Connectivity, and by connectivity, we mean being able to take any random piece of hardware, whether it's an Arduino board or a particle photon, whatever it happens to be, and uh, connect it and pull, have it start sending data to a platform. And the second piece of that is analyzing, visualizing data. So, you know, inside of our platform, you can create dashboards, you can uh, aggregate data. There's a powerful API behind all of that. And the last piece is taking action on that data. And we do that through a very simple to use drag and drop workflow engine. And and in that workflow engine, you can define rules and business logic up in the cloud level for your devices and for the data kind of running through. And that's all meant to happen kind of in real time. You know, we have kind of looked at that as a IFTTT workflow engine on crack, you know, is, is, the way we kind of think of that, but uh, um, really real time. So, you know, we're working with a ton of developers and a lot of developers signed up for the platform. We kind of started out by giving away a bunch of free hardware. We gave out like 600 kits of hardware in like five days and then stopped doing that. <laughs> that was a, that was a few <laughs> too many pieces of hardware, but uh, 
you know, we also work with some enterprises really looking at how they can solve some bigger problems. Uh, we're working with the company um, tracking forklifts and understanding how those forklifts are interacting in the space and uh, um, trying not to create incidents. Uh, so more or less they run their forklifts in the crap is what happens. But, uh, you know, different examples in the world, but really we try to build a platform for developers that can be used to create these applications. And it's really targeted for developers and, and with, with developers in mind. So like Charlie, how, how did this like idea get birthed? There was a lot of different things that kind of came together to uh, really do this. We had a startup before this, um, we started in Cincinnati called Modulus, which was a uh, Node.js Meteor Node uh, platform as a service that we started. And while we had, were doing that, we ended up selling that company to uh, Progress Software. And while doing that, we ended up having a lot of conversations with people about uh, IoT. And a lot of those conversations revolved around, like, could Modulus be this platform for IoT? And... You know, it really just wasn't in the plan, the vision. Uh, so it kind of gave us a little thought around what that could be. Living where I live, we kind of live in a, a very Midwestern area, lots of industrial, lots of manufacturing. You know, I, my family's kind of been in manufacturing for a long time. So talking to them, talking about some of the problems that they have and what they're looking at doing and how they're using technology to do it uh, really kind of gave me a lot of passion about trying to solve some of this, you know, uh, I remember sitting down with my family and talking about some of the problems they were having with automating their facilities and learning about their processes and taking that and going, uh, that's something that would be a lot of uh, interest and fun to kind of build and help solve. So kind of went with that. And uh, I've been a hacker you know, for a long time. My, my degree is in engineering and have been playing with Arduinos since then. So it's, that's a bit of a passion project too, as well, just to get out and, uh, play around with a bunch of different stuff. I, I love the interface, by the way. It reminds me a Thanks. lot of like Yahoo pipes back in the day. Yeah. Um, I kind of <laughs> wish like Zapier or if this and that had a similar kind of interface, like multi zaps are fun to play with, but uh, I, I wish there was like a diagram drawing like this. So that, that's pretty awesome. How does the data get into Losant mm-hmm. to like, build a dashboard or to do real time alerting or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that the data gets in there. Um, you know, behind the scenes, basically, we use two different methods right now. Uh, one is using a REST API. You can send data into the platform. The second is using MQTT, which is more of a real-time kind of uh, hub-sub type platform uh, protocol. And we use that as our kind of base layer for pushing data in and out. Um, we've built SDKs for Arduino and Node.js, and we've got a few more coming out, you know, kind of really plug and play from that perspective. You can also send data in using webhooks. We've got some people sending data in from uh, a bunch of random kind of different ways, but, you know, kind of that core mentality from us is take open protocols like MQTT and REST and uh, give access to push the data using those and uh, push it as much as you want. Uh, It seems like you're bridging the gap between the enterprise and what IOT used to be, which is like, like the hobbyists, the yeah. and all and stuff. Like what's, what's that like being that bridge, you know? It's kind of tough sometimes. Uh, so, you know, we, 
we take that mentality for a lot of reasons, but you know, we believe that the way the market looks today in the world of IoT, it is, it is very much in that stage of, it, is, it has to be a bridge between developers and the enterprises. I think we really truly believe that developers are going to help drive a lot, what a lot of these businesses choose and how they choose to do it in the future. Um, you know, we've seen that in the past with our other companies, but it becomes a, it becomes a multi-headed problem though. Um, you know, one is, is working with developers and building a community and ecosystem. And if there's anything that's for sure, it's developers are smart and they'll call bullshit on you whenever they get a chance. You got to be straightforward and, and be very, uh, value add. Um, in the enterprise space, it's about understanding how you can make those developers the champions inside of the company, how you can help drive that forward and, and how you bring in the relevant uh, stakeholders across the business in an enterprise setting in order to make a, a solution happen. And that's a, a really multi-headed problem that we find is fun to solve because we enjoy working with developers and we enjoy thinking about it from a um, kind of a holistic solution view. And, and that's fun to talk to the VPs and work with the developers to kind of come, come together and meet that middle ground. So, but I think it, a lot of it starts with the developers. So I noticed that you had like a, a couple of SDKs for Arduino and stuff like that. Uh, so it sounds like you make, you know, once you collect the data, like visualizing all that super easy, but can you talk about how the SDK um, works a little bit and how like it helps actually connect uh, devices to the platform? Yeah. So what we did is, you know, most of our SDKs are built on top of MQTT uh, for the platforms. They can fall back to different protocols and methods, but uh, what they basically allow you to do is in uh, like seven lines of code, you know, connect to the platform and, and start sending what we call state. So sending data directly to the platform. What that data looks like, you know, is kind of up to you. Inside of Losant, you define devices and define more or less the model of what that data should look like going into the platform. Um, you know, there's some more ad hoc ways you can do it too, but, you know, that's, that's the preferred because you, you get automatic kind of uh, typing on that data and for visualization and everything else. So it allows for a lot of easy stuff. But, uh, you know, the base of that is include the library. You have to generate some security keys. You know, looking at IoT, uh, security is one of those kind of uh, things you just got to, you got to make sure you cover and you cover well. So we, we kind of do a lot of different things from the security aspect. One is you can create device level tokens. So you can create a, a security token per device uh, that is part of an application. You can create them at the application level. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of uh, do that. So you connect, put the device in, put the security keys in, and, and then you can pretty much uh, pull and push data from the platform that that device has access to. So it's pretty simple. I mean, um, in order to get a, you know, an, uh, like a, a Raspberry Pi up and running, you know, or an Arduino, you're talking five, 10 minutes and you kind of got data up and running. You know, we're playing with some cellular devices to start pushing data to shout out to connect on that. But, uh, you know, we're starting to work with a lot of that cellular data as well. We've, we've got solutions using the platform, using cellular data. And again, it's very similar. So we, we use the Intel Addison a lot um, for our, our base device, which is then running Linux Octo and um, using Node.js to kind of push that data up, which is a lot of fun. We, we love Node. You know, our entire platform is built on top of Node uh, across the whole thing uh, from the back end. And then all of our front ends kind of build in React. And it, it is a static site built to talk to the API 
is what it is. So that's, that's pretty cool. We, so it really, anybody can build the, the interface that we've got on top of it using the API. What, what does that stack look like? And are you guys like building little microservices then to kind of handle each, each little piece that you're working with? Starting kind of at the bottom. Now we're using Google cloud as our, our infrastructure layer. We use uh, Google compute engine as uh, the, the base compute. You know, there's a lot of reasons that we chose to go that route. Uh, more or less, it doesn't really matter. It's machines. We don't actually use any the Google services directly. Uh, we just pretty much use Linux boxes. It gives us advantages later on as, as we kind of move and scale. But um, so we've got Google Compute. The nice thing about it is it does do like encryption at rest for the drives and everything. So that's a nice security checkbox too. Stepping up layer, our main time series database layer is InfluxDB. We found massive success with that at, at Modulus. Um, we had scaled that to, oh, I think we were doing about maybe 10 billion data points a month through it when we left uh, there. And, and we we'd ended up switching off of Mongo and, and going into Influx for that, that database layer. Now, I will say that we're always looking at other layers, database layers currently just because we want to know what's available out there and how, how things are changing, especially in that time series space because aggregation and pulling that data out in real time is, is a big part of the platform. So we want to keep evaluating that. We also have sitting next to that Mongo for a bunch of random data like user data, random semi-relational kind of data inside of the, the platform and just super easy to use. So, And then we've got pretty much Node talking to that across the board. The way that kind of looks like is we have one service that is collecting the data with an MQTT broker, and that's kind of horizontally scalable. So we can uh, we kind of have that horizontally scalable using DNS above it. So we've got multiple brokers that we can redundantly have uh, to pull the data in and, and kick it in the database. Other than it gets really microservicey, with uh, what we call kind of the workflow runners. So the, work, the things that actually do the workflow runners are, are each piece is basically a little composed block that is sandboxed every time it runs. And that can be pulled up and dropped onto as many machines as uh, possible to kind of handle the scale. So, you know, we can scale that workflow runner fairly horizontally. And then each each block that you would see inside of kind of our interface or each node is just a, a sandboxed uh, kind of piece of software there. Oh, let's see. Sitting on top of that, we have an API, uh, the API layer. That's directly accessible from the ex- external world. That's, that's just the API that we use. Sitting on top of that is uh, an API that's available for visualization of data visualization of data. So anything you build in like in a dashboard, we actually have an API to pull that data out directly from what you would see in the dashboard block. And then the API on top of that and then across the side are kind of those SDKs that are all driving back into that SDK. I think that's pretty much it. There's a few other probably little things here and there. Yeah. Have you ever looked at React Storybook? It just came out a couple weeks ago. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, you can tell me about it. 
Well, so it's the idea that like you can create a React component and it's kind of enca- encapsulated oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah, its yeah. own. And you can do all the design in something like Storybook and then publish that. I'm kind of curious if you guys have thought about like publishing React components since like they're set up to really kind of work with your API data. I wonder if it would be interesting to developers to be able to pull those in and, and build their own dashboard. Yeah, we definitely have. And it, and it's still something that we're pretty actively looking at uh, just because we think that building custom interfaces on on top of the API is going to be a, a big way that the data can be uh, used. So we're looking at that. We're also looking at options of um, any possibilities of open sourcing any of the components, whether it's the whole thing, look to individual pieces of the interface. And But yeah, the React components is definitely one of those that we're actively trying to figure out what the best way to allow people to get their hands on those and use those is it's cool though it's super cool actually so do you think or is your primary target like m to m oh uh you know we've we've thought about that a lot too um and And i should say before you get going maybe uh you could explain what m to m is for a lot of people sure probably don't uh so m to m is machine to machine is what it what it stands for, but uh, M2M is what we see a lot in some manufacturing facilities, at least in some other use cases, but uh, a lot of it's directly talking machine to machine and trying to make decisions between those machines is kind of the lofty goal, and, and then you can automate a lot of these pieces. And So, yeah, I think that's a big part of what we think long-term. There's a lot of potential there. What we see today is we'll say machine to service is pulling data from machines and driving them into a service in order to derive information and insight off of that. Um, A lot of people are a little bit weary of stepping back to the machine. Now, certainly we're going to, we see a lot of like random stuff like, you know, inside of uh, a home or a smart house or a smart office, there'll be some machine to machine type stuff. And then more of the industrial space, they're still a little weary of, you, you know, going through the system and then back to a machine to, to make a decision. Uh, whereas, you know, they, they do that via a, a PLC or a control system inside of a manufacturing that they would do today. So, you know, I think long-term, absolutely. Shorter term, I think we'll see more of this machine to service, machine to information, machine to visualization. Um, and some of that will dip back into the machine to machine and then that'll expand over time. So that leads into my next question, which kind of goes back to an older one. Do you see enterprise like adopting this like maker mentality more rather than looking for a complete end product? You're part of a larger ecosystem that like an enterprise would come and like kind of mash together exactly what they need. Yeah, yeah. To a certain extent we are. Um, But I I will say that from kind of our go-to-market strategy is a lot around working with the partners that are also delivering these kind of end-to-end and the developers in those spaces. So, you know, you take the systems integrator that works for PNG and helps build out a system for their manufacturing facility. You know, we think those are perfect partners for us to work with uh, 
you know, because one, they understand the software layer enough to integrate it with that whole machine layer and the hardware layer that they're really experts in. Uh, so we see that's a, it's a long-term, that's a long-term play. I mean, building these partnerships is, is a lot of work and, and you have to build a lot of them in order to kind of get that adoption and growth. But, uh, we think that's a, it's a, it's one of the ways that we think long-term it is, you know, today we are, are trying to find those ones that have more of a maker mentality and, and trying to solve some of their own problems, have their own development teams. And, you know, those are usually bigger in size and a little more scrappy. So uh, it, it's, it's a variety long-term. I think a lot of the partners will come into play with that. Uh, this is, might be a weird question and maybe it's because I live in DC, but has there been any interest or like, have you had any talks with any like governmental services or like, is that, yeah, we, we've had several, um, you know, there was actually, a, there was a really interesting that came through earlier this year for the, the government put out a, what is it? A, is it a, it's a notification of funding opportunity, I think is what they call it, uh, NFO or something like that, um, which is around smart cities and around adding information and using data and sensors to, to improve the lives of the cities. I am a little bit sad to say that Cincinnati did not actually put in an application for this, um, which was a little bit disappointing and sad to see. But, um, you know, we talked to the city about some of those opportunities. They're trying to, as a, as like a mid-sized city, they're trying to figure out what the budgetary thoughts are on a lot of this stuff and, and where the, the immediate value that they could see uh, on these. I know some cities are doing a fantastic, fantastic job of this uh you take a look at you know even in the kind of the midwest you take a look at kansas city what boulder's trying to do even chicago and cleveland and pittsburgh and they're all trying to do a lot of this stuff and, and push the boundaries there and then of course you have the big cities which uh, obviously they they're they're doing a lot in this space but i think there's a lot of opportunity there uh, it's a space that we personally don't understand as well uh, and we're trying to um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to our local officials and people that are in that kind of space to understand it a little bit better and how those, how that game is played and how the, you know, the proposals are put together and all the pieces there. So I would think there's actually a lot of interesting opportunity. Have you seen the, the bus detective stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Did the uh, gaslight worked on some of that stuff, right? Yeah. 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 I, I used to be a partner there and like, I don't know. I always keep tabs on those guys. They're, they're doing cool things, but like, for those that aren't familiar, they're, the, the buses are instrumented. And so, like, there's a bus schedule that, hey, you know, we're going to stop at this stop at 4.45 p.m. But buses never run on time, right? They're always late. So, the, all the buses are instrumented and have the, the data, like, where they're at right now. And so, you could know, like, hey, your bus is running nine minutes behind. And that's the idea behind bus detectives little app on your phone that tells you like, Hey, your bus is coming. It'll be there at this time instead of that time. But like, I got to see kind of a behind the scenes look and like the API that they were offering is really just like a file with a bunch of data in it. And they're like parsing it out rather than like getting a, a true API that they can make calls to. So I would think that that there's a lot of potential there to like work in that capacity with governments mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, definitely. I, I've done some, I did, I was at like a hackathon for the, that was put on by the Census Bureau and like the same thing, like their API, like, I mean, I can think of no better source of data for anything. Like it's just a ridiculous amount of data, but it's incredibly complex and hard to get to. And it's of course, like it takes years to like, like a whole year for people, for them to compile this data. 
I don't know. I think like this would be, there's gotta be some like cooler way to like help automate some of this data collection. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like really impressed and like happy that you've even like reached out and, and thought about how, how it's like to help governments provide these type of services. So that's cool. I, I think it's awesome. I, I mean, you know, the, uh, some of the stuff that New York is doing, like, you know, they're, they're working with a, a small private group to do public Wi-Fi across the entire city. I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of awesome stuff that's going on at the government level. Um, you know, like I said, I don't know, I don't know, understand all of the inner workings on getting all those things to come together. And that's one of our, you know, just our internal problems is we got to get better at that. But uh, I think there's a lot of awesome really useful value that can be added to the citizens and to the government itself. You know, obviously they want to understand this data better and easier and, and the citizens and the people in the city definitely want to understand it better. And, um, and we're trying to do a couple early pilots and uh, from air quality and understanding what air quality is across the city and individual neighborhoods, I think is an interesting one because uh, some of the data they have says that air quality is one of one of like the top four uh, indicators of uh, socioeconomic uh, value and uh, kind of level in in, it, in an area. So, but again, we don't have granular data on a lot of those pieces. So it's that's data that can be easily grabbed and and put into a place that they can get a hand on. So uh, I switching it up, I guess. What do you see like? like long-term, like 20, 30 years down the road, like, you know, when cars can start driving, they start, they start talking to each other and, and get the magic ball out. Yeah. 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 Still, um, yes. Cars will be driving themselves. Um, I think you know, 20, 20, 30 years down the road. Definitely. I, I think we'll see a lot of industries take a massive change. Uh, let's take logistics, trucking, for instance, you know, there's, uh, it's one of the highest employment occupations in the country is, is being a truck driver. And um, when trucks can drive themselves, uh, I'm sure that trucking companies will have self-driving trucks. Uh, so there's, there's going to be a lot of change. I think education has to be improved uh, across the technical sectors in order to give people a better opportunity to expand their second career can't remember who was saying this, but you know, it's, it's continued education, but second career after the world changes and you have to pick up a skill set. You say it so nicely. So like, <laughs> so like the economy is going to crash. <laughs> like the transportation industry is like our biggest like thing that goes towards our GDP pretty much. If we automate that, I'm just glad that we have the careers that we have. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely in a different position. Than a lot of people. We're the ones that are like causing, that are bringing the doom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah I was had, I had this, I had that exact same thought the other day. I was, I was driving, and I think I heard, heard something on the on the radio or something about automated trucks. And I was surrounded. I was in rush hour traffic, and I was surrounded by like these large trucks. And I was like thinking, I was like, man, these like. This is going to be a real problem for people. Yeah, it's going to be. A, it's going to, uh, I mean, you're going to see the same things happen in manufacturing. You know, you look at mid-tier manufacturing from $10 million to a billion dollars in revenue. You know, those are all still manual processes driven by people. Uh, pretty much 95% of it. Uh, it won't be that way in 30 years. You know, there's, uh, there's so many industries that are going to be completely disrupted and, and partially torn apart from where the technology is driven. I don't think we'll have flying cars yet. 
It just I don't, don't, I don't know that we're ever going to have them. I just, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. It's too unsafe. Yeah. My wife works for GE aviation where she's, she's in charge of working with the FAA to certify an engine to put onto a new plane. And that's, um, you know, top to bottom six, seven, eight year process to put one new engine on a new plane. You know, and, <laughs> you're, you're going to just start letting people fly these things around. I don't think so. It, it, I just, you, and it's, it's just not energy efficient. No, no, not energy efficient. I mean, yeah, yeah there's a reason plane tickets cost $500. Yeah. You know, it, it's not because they're gouging you. Yeah. So switching. So I guess this is uh, something I'm really interested. I have, I have two young daughters and I'm, I'm always looking at interesting ways to like get them to learn technology, basically for this reason that I'm, I'm you know, I want them to have, like successful careers in, I mean, you know, whatever it makes them happy, but it's obviously there's going to be more need for techno technological focused careers going down the road. So there's two jobs. There's yeah. two, two jobs. Either you could be a programmer or a maker. That's one. The other one is an entertainer. Yeah. It's going to be no, everyone's going to need to laugh and everyone's going to need maintenance on their robot. That's <laughs> how you make robots that are funny. Yeah. Oh gosh. Anyway, so, or I guess there's just one, one, yeah. one job slave. So I guess my question is, I don't, I don't know if you have children, but um, like, what are some good ways that that we can get, and not just kids, but like people who don't uh, aren't currently involved in technology, or but maybe they're interested, like. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, so one of the part of the question, I don't have any kids yet. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm do actively think about this though, it, especially working in a, in the field that we do. And, and, and a lot of people and friends do have kids and um, are trying to think about this actively too is, I don't know. I think it's, it's a, that's a hard question. So one, because I, I don't spend enough time thinking about it. Maybe I should, I should spend more time thinking about it, but um uh, yeah, definitely more entertaining educational programs. Yeah, is is definitely one of those pieces. I think we've already seen a lot of kids try to pick up programming because they wanted to make a a new Minecraft level, right? Like, you know, that's props to that. I mean, that's been a, a huge push in the right direction. And I remember, you know, one of the things I wanted to do when I was growing up was create video games. You know, that's, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to program video games, you know, not just draw them and make them, but program them. Uh, there was nothing really that I could do until probably college to even really start really doing that really in any respect. I think we've got enough tools that we can start teaching people today to, you know, whether it's through drag drop interfaces, whether it's, Lego Mindstorms and a, and a bunch of other kind of opportunities there. I think they're doing a really, a lot of really cool things. I mean, you, know, you see hardware hackers that are, are doing a lot of kids stuff and, and we'll see, we'll see that hardware get easier and easier. And I think that gives a lot of opportunity to, to uh, get kids involved. And I think you've got to have some formal education programs too and in, inside of the schools. That's a much bigger challenge. I in my mind is, is convincing the schools that this needs to become more of a priority. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Like our, we, our kids go to Wyoming, which is like one of the top, they're always jockeying for a top three position in the state. And they actually have uh, what they call fab lab here. 
at the middle school and it's like a fabrication laboratory. And so they have like CNC machines, they have 3D printers, you know, they have access to like everything and they put together clubs after school. They have classes you can take during the day that like teach you how to do all this stuff. So I think that's an amazing step towards it. And, you know, back to what you were saying about Minecraft, I know you and I have actually had a conversation about this offline. I've been working on getting together a nonprofit in this area as well. Gaslight actually had like a kid's tech day and they did what you're talking about, right? They were teaching kids scratch programming. They were teaching kids how to, well, they didn't do a great job on modding Minecraft. And I think that's maybe a deeper class, but, and then also doing like Lego Mindstorms. And I think that's like kids have a natural curiosity and they want to play games. And so if you can like hook them in young enough and be like, look, you can make an exploding cow. Like you're absolutely right. Like they're going to want to do that and they're going to be learning at the same time and not even realize that they're learning. They're just going to be like, look at this neat thing I made. To them, they're just being a maker. They're not really being like a programmer or anything like that, uh, which can sometimes be a turnoff, I think, to some kids. Like I don't want to sit there and stare at code all day, but when they see they can actually do something with it, I think it becomes way more interesting to them. So, Did you say exploding kittens? I, I, I said cows, but kittens works too, if that's, if that's your game. <laughs> I never want to show my kids that game. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, so i'm curious like talking about like uh bridging the gap and getting kids involved in all that stuff like like what are what are some of the big uh, hurdles that you see right now in the iot space that like they need to get over i might preface that too maybe you could talk a little bit about what you guys did at christmas time too Oh yeah. Um, sure. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the challenges and I'll talk a little bit about what we did at Christmas and, and some of the projects that we're looking at working on right now. I think there's a couple of things. One of the biggest is just availability of, of easy to use hardware availability to hardware in general. You know, you go to even a hackathon for adults and, and almost there's almost going to be no access to stuff they can hack around and play with from a hacker and maker's standpoint. Uh, so that's got to be available. That's not that hard to solve, but it does, it is capital intensive from a, from a, at a large scale. You know, I think that's the first thing, you know, the right tools. So getting them access to the right tools, getting them uh, to understanding the right tools, training, and whether it's a school program, after school program or a community program, uh, starting to build those up from, from, the ground. Uh, and I think that's one that if you, if we started, you know, say this group started to put around an organization and started to think about how that plan works and started to get pull, pull people in, I think you could move that forward a bit and, and drive that from a, a local level and, and move it out and get some other communities involved as well. But, uh, you know, those are two big things. One of the things that we like doing and uh, we've, do, we've done once we'll be doing a little bit more of is we did an interactive space uh, for Christmas. We, we basically, we said, called it how the internet of things saves Christmas. It was really around, you know, how can we make internet of things approachable to a wide variety of the public and, and show them some of the novel ways that it could be used and in people's lives and, and for fun. Um, So we basically took, the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation movie 
and took some of the problems they had in the movie, whether it was burning turkey or getting the lights to work or, um, or some of the fun things. So the sled and, and showing how IOT could be used to either fix those problems, um, show some of the data about it and, and get inside. And, and, and then you know, we, we did simple things and just had little bits in the, in the place, which is an awesome tool for teaching simple circuits and stuff. Uh, and invited people to come check out these. We talked about them, showed them off and talked about IOT as a whole. And also it was a fun place to bring kids and, and hang out for an hour and just to do stuff like that. Um, the summer we're working with a, a group here in Cincinnati uh, about a, it's called Play Library. It will be at uh, the People's Liberty Globe Building. So People's Liberty is, is a nonprofit organization that uh, gives groups grants to do interesting projects. And this one person won a grant, and they're going to have a library where you can come rent toys and have fun in the space. And we're working with them to help uh, liven it up through different IoT stuff. Um, and and I think those things just generally, one, help help the brand, but two, help understand and show everyone that, look, this stuff is going to be in your lives and it's going to be help solve some things. It's going to help entertain, you know, you know, we know that the only two jobs later are going to be programmers and entertainers. So, you know, it's got to entertain you and we can help program it. So. Well, we should, we should totally do that thing we talked about before, which is like, uh, not your dad's, uh, derby race. Mm-hmm. Or we have like a derby track that's totally instrumented up and then like no rules. Like we'll just lift all the derby rules, except it has to fit on the track and stay in your track slot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, and I mean, we, we can do that. That's yeah. for sure. That would be awesome. <laughs> That'd be really cool. So I want to say thank you, Charlie, for being on the show. It was really awesome to talk about all this stuff. Thank you for having me. It, yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I also think, you know, um, maybe one last question is like, you talked about having SDKs and like, you know, building these libraries that people can kind of consume with their devices and utilize to send data. Like, is most of that built with JavaScript or are you finding other languages? Or yeah, so, you know, we have a JavaScript uh, library. Um, we'll probably have another one or two for uh, for client side and a couple others, but we also, you know, have a C C plus plus library. We'll have a .NET library, Python library, Java library, and then probably an iOS SDK as well. Uh, nice. going forward. So it'll be built in a variety of languages, but, uh, you know, most everything else is built in JavaScript. All right. Let's do our picks guys. Absolutely. I'm going to go first. So no one can steal mine. <laughs> It's day after Game of Thrones, so I'm going to take Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I, I actually, your life easier? It's, it's made my life better. I don't know about easier, but better. <laughs> All right, okay. Or maybe, maybe more frustrating. It was a slow episode last night, but I, uh, I watched <laughs> it. I watched this. Huh? I don't want to steal your time. Go ahead. <laughs> I uh, I watched this video on like the the theories behind Jon Snow and how he's going to come back to life and like it was a very boring episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, so but this I'll have to link this in the show notes, but this this theory video came out about a month ago and the guy was talking about how uh he believes Jon Snow is a Targaryen, which I've heard the theory before, but now that he's dead and like the theory of how he's going to come back to life is all really really interesting. Um Assuming it happens, which I think it will. Anyway, I geek out on Game of Thrones. What can I say? 
I've only seen one episode. Get off right now. Cool. You're, you're fired. And which one was it? I don't even know. How would I even know how to compare? <laughs> yes, I'll go next. So, you know what I love is, this isn't going to be my pick, but I love House of Cards. And I just wrapped up season two. So I got another two seasons to go. I'm like, I don't watch TV that much. I don't know. What Clearly not. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, my pick is an old one. Uh, MIT Spark. Oh, yeah. Which is programming for Scratch. Children. Scratch. 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 That's what it is. Something else is called. Have you seen uh, Scratch Jr.? I, I think not. PBS Kids has like an app for it. It's called Scratch Jr. Oh, yeah. But it's like, you definitely check that out. Very cool. Yeah, this past weekend, um, my kids are in like an enrichment program or whatever. They have to answer all their math questions by programming the answers and using that service. And so it was great. I felt like a, a good old dad teaching my kids how to like basic programming. It was like an awesome weekend. So yeah, nice. I started, I started my son on scratch or no on JavaScript and then we found scratch and like he probably spent a couple hours on the, the raspberry Pi actually like <laughs> he had it hooked up in his room and it came with the uh, raspberry Pi. So ton of fun playing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'll go. Uh, by the way, that's it's scratchjunior.org is uh, like the PBS version. It's pretty fun. Uh, it's for like younger, younger kids. I'm going to go with slither.io. Have you guys played this at all? Yeah. Have you guys played uh, agar or agar.io? Yes. Um, slither.io is kind of, it's like that. It's a game. Um, you just like, you're like a snake. And you're on a server with like 500 people. And the goal is to just eat these little dots to be the biggest snake. But then you can like, you have to cause other snakes to run into your trail. And then when they do, they like, they die and you can eat their, their power or whatever. It's like the simplest, it's like a really simple game, but it's incredibly addicting. And uh, it's, I don't know, super fun. I've started playing it uh, last week. You should check it out. It's fun. Great. I'm sitting here playing it. That's the biggest snake I've ever seen. <laughs> Dude, it, it, when you start off a little guy and then you like you run it, you see like a big guy. <laughs> that's kind of that's awesome. I, I just a quick side story of that. I, I one of the first successful iOS applications I ever built was a snake game that um, ended up getting to be number one in Sweden and a few other countries on on the app on the App Store. Uh, it was based off of the old school Nokia game. My pick is going to be Nice Trails, nicetrails.com. And it is very different from the rest of these, uh, but it allows you to upload GPS data and will create a GPS route data and will create a 3D printed model of the route and the surrounding terrain. Um, very cool. If you go outside and hike it all, I had two made. One was the route that my wife and I did down into the Grand Canyon and back out. And, um, actually one of a skiing route out in uh, Switzerland and they just 3d print them and they, uh, they basically 3d printed with the color of the landscape and it's just killer, a lot of fun, just super simple. Yeah, you know, kind of taking a lot of a lot of technologies and gluing them together to make something really fun and interesting. 
That's awesome. This is rad. So my, my father-in-law is currently in, uh, in Spain right now doing the, uh, the, like the Compostela walk. It's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's doing it for the second time. So this is cool. So like, how do you, so you put the GPS data in. Like, yeah. And, and uh, you, like, you just have to track it yourself and then you put uh, it in. I actually used a service to, uh, that I could pull up the trail route and then modify it on their website and then download the GPS coordinates is what I ended up doing. Now I got to try to remember what that was. All right. I can't remember. I can drop it in the meeting notes later though. But uh, so it, it allowed me, it allowed me, you know, because we did like a regular trail more or less at the Grand Canyon. So I could put that in and it would visualize it and I could then modify it uh, inside of their software and then download the GPS coordinates for it. I did the same thing for a route that we did at Yosemite, which was actually a combination and, and it was pieced together from three or four different routes. So it worked really well for, for that. Um, a lot of fun, super easy. You know, I, I did have to modify the data a little bit using GPS visualizer, which just converted it to a very simple GPX GPS file, but that's awesome. Very cool. I'll definitely be using this for a present at some point. Yeah. I, I've been wanting to try Autodesk has a software that they showed off a while ago. I don't know if you guys know what Autodesk is, but they had a GoPro attached to a drone and as it uh, flies through, it um, takes photos every five seconds. You upload the photos to like their software and it creates a point cloud file which then you, you can generate like massive 3D uh, topography with, and it, like it has the image overlaid on it. So I, I love that stuff. I'm like a total nerd. So I, I'm going to definitely check this out. This, that's super cool. Uh, all trails, alltrails.com is what I use to create the, uh, the trail, trail maps and download the GPS coordinates. And with that, I just died with in Slither. Ah, <laughs> uh, you were playing this whole time. Nice. <laughs> I got like twelve hundred points, and I died too. <laughs> Dude, wait till you, right. you ever get like twenty thousand points. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I saw some guys flying in there like at super speed. <laughs> yeah, if you if you click the, if you hold the mouse down or use spacebar, you fly. You like go super fast. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't know that. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for being on the show. Special thanks to Charlie. It was awesome to talk Internet of Things. So, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. And uh, tune in next time. Uh, I don't know who it will be, but we're talking to – like, I'm trying to get people to talk about GraphQL or uh, Redux or any of those kinds of things. So, who knows? Maybe we'll have someone interesting for the next one as well. Someone interesting to talk about Redux? Start start playing around with Apollo over the weekend. Next one. Yeah, maybe we can get someone to talk about Apollo. Maybe. I don't know if we know anyone. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S-P-A-C-E-D-O-J-O dot com.